Uh, we're in uh, a study in our, our series in 1 Corinthians, and uh, we've been looking at some very interesting things. We've been looking at the resurrection one day, not just the resurrection of Christ, that it's already taken place, but our resurrection as believers. And uh, today we're, the message is entitled, Behold, I Tell You a Mystery. And as we read the this, this scripture this morning, you'll see where that title comes from, from the Apostle Paul, as God revealed to him a mystery, a mystery is something that hasn't been revealed before. So uh, if you don't know what the mystery is, it's exciting to be here, because you'll find out by the end of the message. Um, but just a way of review, uh, last couple of weeks we've been looking at some simple facts concerning our resurrected body. One day we will all have a resurrected body. Those who trust in Christ will be resurrected to be with him forever in glory. Those who have not, who die apart from Christ, will still be resurrected. But they will be resurrected unto judgment for all eternity. And so it's important to realize that our resurrected body is something of importance to us. And a couple facts we looked at, and uh, the first one was in verses 36 to 38 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And we said that our, our relationship, the relationship of our resurrected body to our present body will make us the same person. When we get to heaven one day and we have our resurrected body, and if I run into you on the streets of gold in heaven, I won't go, oh, who are you? <laughs> I don't recognize you. No, we will recognize everyone. It'll be a glorious day. We'll see loved ones. Now, the Bible says there'll be no marriage in heaven. Some of you are going, whew. Some of you are going, whoa, man, I'm going to miss that. I don't know. But we will know each other. We just won't know each other as husband and wife. And so it's, it's, it's going to be an exciting day. We will ha- be the same person. I think God will allow us to have some of the same personality traits, minus all the irritating things that are caused by sin. <laughs> you know, everybody's got irritating things in their personality, right? Some people don't talk too, talk too little. Some people talk too much. Some people, you know, just it's different things that, that arise in people's personality. But we're going to be the same person. But secondly, we looked at, because God has to recreate our body, our body when we die today, where does it go? It goes to the grave or it's burnt up, or it's lost at sea, or something happens to this physical body. And so God, to give us a resurrected body, he has to bring all those elements back together and create a resurrected body for us, recreate it. And that will make us a different person. And we talked about that in verses 39 to 41. Even though we're going to be the same person in personality, there's going to be a lot different about us in our resurrected body. And then lastly... Last week, the third thing we looked at was the realities of our, of our resurrected body, our glorified body, will make us a greater person. Amen? We want to be a greater person. Well, to this morning, we're focusing on chapter 15, verse 50. And so I want to read verses 50 to 58. So I would ask you, in honor of God's word, to stand as I read through our text, and then we'll pray, and then you can have a seat, and we'll have our message. But Paul writes... To the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead 
will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would apply its truth to our hearts. Give us eyes to see. We pray your spirit would enable us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says. This is exciting. We've been looking at, in verse chapter 15, we saw the reception of the gospel in verses 1 to 11, the reasons why that was so important in verses 12 to 19. And then we said, there are results that come from Christ's resurrection. And we saw those in verses 20 to 34. And then we looked at the reality of our own resurrection. Remember, the Corinthians didn't have a problem believing that Christ rose from the dead. They had a problem believing that they one day would rise from the dead. Because of their pagan background and the false information they were given, they they had a hard time understanding that this body that dies one day and goes back to the earth as dust will be raised. And so Paul was trying to relay that truth to them. Well, that brings us to verse 50. And we see here the rewards that will come. The rewards that are promised to all those who have trusted in Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward (laughs) To that day, when those rewards become a reality in my life and in yours. Many years ago, there was a a pastor by the name of Pastor Blackmore. And he was trying to help a lady in his congregation who had been bedridden for years. She was older and she very frail. And because medicine wasn't what it was, they didn't even know what was wrong with her. And the story says that she was in her bed 23 years. That's quite a while. She just couldn't, couldn't function. And he was trying to encourage her. And one day he got moved by the Lord to write her a song. He was a hymn writer. And he wrote her these, just a portion of what he wrote. He wrote these words when he was thinking about this poor dear lady bedridden. He said, some glorious morning, sorrow will cease. Some glorious morning, all will be peace. Heartaches all ended, school days all done, yay, (laughs) heaven will open, and Jesus will come. Some golden daybreak, battles all won, he'll shout the victory, break through the blue, some golden daybreak, for me and for you. It's a wonderful hymn, but it encourages our hearts, because you know what? Why is that so encouraging? Because we all live down here on a sinful world, and even though we're Christians, even though if we've trusted in Christ, we know that we have victory over death and all sin and all that, but we still go through difficulties, do we not? 
Is there anybody here that has no difficulties ever in their life? No. We would all have to say, yeah, I went through a tough time. I've had felt tremendous pain or I've gone through difficult times. Maybe you grieved over a lost loved one. Maybe you have issues in your family, your marriage with your children. There's so many different forms of pain and difficulty in the world today. We don't have time to name them all. But trust me, beloved, one day it will all be over. No more pain, no more difficulties. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and Paul suffered a lot, He said, the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, Paul says, you know what? I'm willing to put up with a little pain and suffering because I know what's coming. I know what's coming. He says in verse 24, the same chapter, Romans 8, 24, Romans 8, 18 and Romans 8, 24, for this, for in this hope we were saved. I hope you have hope in your Christian walk. Frankly, I run into some believers and it's like, whoa, they're like the the, the guy on the uh, Charlie Brown thing with the black cloud over everywhere they go, you know? It's like, man, what's wrong with you? Are you really saved? Where's the joy of the Lord in your life? Woe is me, you know, it is just so difficult to be a Christian and I get, there's no hope. That's sad. Paul says in Romans 8, 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, he says, is what? It's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Why would you hope for something if you can see it? That makes sense, right? That's pretty basic. Verse 25, he says, but if we hope for what we do not see, what do we do? We wait in patience. We wait for it with patience. See, God has a plan. God has a purpose, and he's carrying it out. And as crazy and as mixed up as this world is getting, where right is wrong and wrong is right, and everything's upside down and chaotic, God still has a purpose. He still has a plan. He's still sovereign overall. He knows exactly what's happening. He hasn't lost control of anything. That helps us to wait in patience, does it not? I remember one time we were on a canoe trip when I was younger. And we were going down the Loyal Sock Creek. And... My brother, Johnny, had, a, he had the most important thing. He had a case of beer in the canoe. <laughs> we were not Christians at the time. I wasn't drinking it, but he was. And I don't know, I can't remember who else was in the canoe, but we were going down, and it was after a heavy rain, and the, the rapids started to come. And, and I remember him just telling, just, just sit there, Stevie, don't worry. Just sit up front, and you'll be fine. Just, just hold on. You know, you got a life preserver on. Nothing happened. And, and I just remember waiting, 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 and... And then it happened. Everything capsized. And, you know, I see the beer bottles floating by. And, you know, it was crazy, right? It was just bizarre. And um, luckily, my brother had his priorities, right? So he went for me instead of the beer. But so, you know, we were all fine. But I remember at the end, him saying, see, I told you it'd be okay. <laughs> I thought, what? what? You know, we just sunk the canoe. Sometimes, when you know it's going to be okay... When you know those in charge are, are completely capable of handling the situation, you can, you can deal with a little turbulence, right? 
you know, the plane shakes a little bit, you're okay because you know the guy in the, the cockpit. You know, he's trained. You know how he knows how to deal with that. And so we can wait patiently for these things. When we have trials in our lives, we know today we're going to see that God one day will deliver us from all those things. Jesus said it himself in John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? He was telling his disciples, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Guess, guess who that blessing's for? Us. You, me. Because I don't know about you, but I've never seen Jesus here on earth. He's at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. But he says, blessed are those who have not seen. Why? Because we're expressing faith. Philippians 1.6, Paul said this, I am sure of this. Those words mean that he is absolutely sure, confident, 100%, that he who began a good work in you, if you're saved here today, if you've trusted Christ, guess what? God began a work in you when he drew you to Christ. And your eyes were opened to the gospel, and you repented of your sin, and you trusted in Christ. Now, he doesn't say from that point on, from the time of your salvation till you get to heaven, it's just going to be a cakewalk. No. Jesus himself said, you're going to have a lot of suffering. You're going to have a lot of trials. You're going to have a lot of uh, turmoil in your life, even as a believer. See, don't listen to these, these guys on the, on the TV that tell you, oh, no, you know, God wants us just to be blessed, 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 blessed. No sickness. Nothing. It's all just goodness, goodness, goodness. No, 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 no. Jesus himself said, you will have to endure suffering. But Paul says, he who began a good work in you will what? Will bring it to completion. He will bring it to completion. He doesn't save you and then say, oh, by the way, you're on your own till you get to heaven. (laughs) Aren't you glad? I'm so glad God is active in my life each and every day, molding me and shaping me to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says he'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That completion will happen when we receive our glorified bodies. Well, we have hope beyond the grave. What's the condition? This is the first point here in your outline. The condition for experiencing these rewards. We talked about the rewards that were going to come. Well, what are they? And, and what's the condition for receiving them? Does everybody get a trophy? How does this work? Verse 50 tells us. Verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers. And then he says this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Ask yourself this question. What is the condition for experiencing all these wonderful blessings that he's been talking about in the resurrected body that we've been studying about. How do you get these? What's the condition of receiving them? He tells us that, hey, you know what? Flesh and blood, he says, brothers, he's talking to Christians, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, what's the perishable? The perishable is the natural body, our physical body, inherit the imperishable. That word flesh and blood, you notice it there, it's used five about five times, and it refers to All of humanity as we know it. That's what it's referring to. It's a general term. Flesh and blood. Our present bodies are perishable. Everybody's body is perishable. Nobody here has a glorified body. We're all perishing. 
And we drew that out in detail last week. Hopefully you didn't leave too depressed, realizing that your body's failing you and that there's nothing you're going to do to stop it. But it's, it's interesting how the body works. It's amazing. God created it. You know, I, I want to thank you all for praying for my kidney stone and all this stuff. In this last week, I got to have another x-ray. I, I should be glowing by now. I've been having them weekly. But um, I went down on Wednesday. I had an appointment with a phone call doctor in the afternoon on Wednesday. He said, well, make sure you get the x-ray in the morning. So I did. Went down and got the x-ray. He's talking to me on the phone. And I'm thinking, hey, you've all been praying for me. I know this kidney stone's gone, you know, in Jesus' name, you know. Uh, well, it was gone from the ureter. And I did pass most of it, um, but there was a small piece left. And he goes, we don't see this very often, but um, you, have you been in any pain? And I said, well, yeah, actually, last week, I, yeah, I had a little significant pain a little bit, a couple of days, just kind of severe cramping, and then it would stop, and then it would start again. And I thought it was just the kidney stone moving again. He goes, oh, it was moving all right. He goes, guess where it's at? I go, what? He goes, it's back in your kidney. And I'm like, what? He goes, once in a while, he goes, this happens. And I'm thinking, oh, great. What's he going to want to do? Because this is the guy that wanted to go get it, you know. And uh, I said, no, we're just going to break it up and let this happen naturally. Thank you very much. But what he said was, the good news is it's fine. It's, it's about a third of the quarter of the size it was originally. So the procedures work that you had done. But now it's in your kidney. And we don't mind them in your kidney. That's small. Don't worry about it. It's not even an issue. I'm going to order you an x-ray a year from now. And... Uh, you should be fine. So I thought, well, that's good news. So I, I wanted to thank you all for praying. But our bodies are incredible, are they not? I mean, it's just amazing how God has created our bodies to operate and to work. And at the same time, they're perishing. <laughs> they're failing. They're not going to last. They're not able to continue in the present state, even day to day. We need a change, amen? We need a change. And the reason why you and I have a new body promised to us is not because of what church we go to. It's not because of all the good things that we do in life. It's none of that. The reason we're going to have a change, and really it's at the DNA level, he's going to recreate our entire body in this glorified state. It's because we've been born again of the Spirit of God. That's the condition to receive this reward. I mean, I don't care what brand name your religion is. I don't care what church you go to, whether it's this church or another church. It makes no difference to me. I want you to understand here this morning, if you have not been born again, if you have not come to Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will never Enter the kingdom of God, period. That's not my view. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus taught us very clearly. And he made it very clear in scripture. Now, what actually occurs when you're born again, if you're not familiar with that term, it's spoken of in John 3. When you're born again, there's a significant change in you. It's a spiritual DNA change. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 speaks of this. John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now. He's talking to people who've had this change. And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, even though we're saved, we're not all that we will be. 
But we know that when he appears, Christ, we will be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. In verse 3, 1 John 3, 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Even over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes to us, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, our, Sam spoke of this Saturday morning. Our, our citizenship is in heaven. It's reserved in heaven. We're, we're down here on this earth, but this is not our eternal dwelling place. But it says... We're awaiting Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21 of Philippians 3. He says, who will transform our lowly body? He'll take this body that's being trashed every day, going down, down, down. He's going to take it, our lowly body, to be like his glorious body. He's going to make a change, significant change. How's he going to do it? It says, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform this body as we know it. And when we get that change, he's not talking about the physical properties, not talking about the genetics and all that, but he's talking about what God can do, the spiritual. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience in the truth for a Sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then he says this in verse 23 of 1 Peter 1. Since you have been born again. That word's born from above. It's something God does. Not of perishable seed, he says. Remember, we spoke about that word seed. It's the word sperm. Really. And it's saying, you know what? Our physical bodies are made of a perishable seed. But God, when he recreates our bodies, it's going to be an imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. And so we have now this corruptible, perishing, passing away body. But the body we're going to get from the Lord one day is going to be incorruptible, imperishable in every way. So what causes something to grow is the seed that is planted. And here it's God planting his seed in us. And it's not a perishable seed. It's an imperishable seed. So we're born again, according to Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. He says this in John chapter 3, verse, verse 5. He says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This physical body cannot enter heaven. It needs to be transformed. The Holy Spirit of God takes the incorruptible seed of the word of God which we believe by faith, and he causes us to be born from above, to be born again, to be changed spiritually. And that happens on, in areas that you do not see. You know, I looked the same the moment after I came to Christ. You know, the pastor that led me to the Lord, he shared the gospel with me, and finally it clicked. God opened my eyes, and I realized I needed a Savior, and I repented of my sins, and I I, I confessed my sins to the Lord and asked him to to take my life. I want to serve you. And I went home that night, and I remember going in the the bathroom to brush my teeth, and I'm looking at the mirror, and I'm like, I don't look any different. (laughs) 
I feel a whole lot different, but I don't look any different. Nothing's changed on the outside. Where did it change? It changes on the inside. It changes on the inside. It happens on the inside no matter what is manifested on the outside. Because God does that work. It's a spiritual awakening. You can't put it in a test tube. You can't take it to a lab and test it. I can't take you somewhere and say, put you in a machine and go, oh yeah, they're a Christian. <laughs> Little J appears on your forehead or something. No, that doesn't happen that way. It's faith. Some people in their lives, they, they talk about, you know what, I just, I need a, a change. I need, I need to turn over a new leaf. I need to make this happen. Give it up. You don't need a new leaf. You need a new life. That's what the Bible says. And it comes from being born again. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, I read it this morning, Dave did, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, listen, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that's the word there, born again, same word, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That verse is saying that God saved us. So when we say flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, that's a definitive statement. There is no one, I don't care how important they are, it could be the Pope, doesn't matter. I don't care how religious they are. No one will inherit God's kingdom or have a new resurrected body to live with the Lord forever. No one will be in that category Unless they're trusting solely in Christ, in Christ alone. If you're trusting in your human effort, if you're trusting and you're trying to turn over a new leaf, rather than the work of the Holy Spirit who causes you to be born again, guess what? You're not going to make it. This is so important. So important. Because people in our culture still think somehow by our religiosity, by what we do in our own religions, whatever they may be, somehow our works will be acceptable to God. If I just do enough, if I just give enough money to the church, if I just feed enough homeless people, if I just help enough widows, if I just stop doing enough sin, then God will finally love me. And people try and try and try and try and guess what? Some of them are very noble in their efforts. Some of the things they do are very honorable things. Matthew tells us, Jesus tells us in chapter 7, there's going to be people that come before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, they're going to call Jesus Lord. Haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we fed the poor? Haven't we done this? Haven't we healed the sick? Look at everything we've done, Lord. And Jesus is going to have to turn to them and go, you know what? I don't even know who you are. Bye. Because they're trusting in the wrong thing. 
They weren't trusting in Christ. They're trusting in their own effort. They're trusting in their own goodness. They're trusting in their own righteousness or perceived self-righteousness. The Bible says very clearly that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. When I understood this, when I got saved, I I really got ticked off. I got angry. Because I was raised in a church that taught, you know what? You just do more. Just do more. Go to more confessions and light more candles and come to more masses and take more communion and, and give more and do this and do that. And eventually, eventually, if you do enough, maybe... You might make it to purgatory. And then it's up to the people who are left after you die to bail you out of purgatory. And maybe one day, if they give enough to the church after you're dead, maybe eventually you'll end up in heaven. And when I read verses like this, it said, wait a minute, it's not based on what I do? Are you kidding me? Do you know how many Saturdays I gave up as an altar boy? To go down and serve in some mass, thinking that somehow, hey, I'm earning my brownie points with God. All my friends are out playing football, but boy, I'm, I'm doing the right thing here. I got angry so much, I, so I, I wanted to go become a priest. I thought, I'll fix them. Go and expose the whole thing. See, but our, our culture takes all these religions and they put them all in one pot. Well, that, they're good Catholics. They may be good according to the world. But if they're not trusting in Christ and in Christ alone, if they're just trusting in their Catholicism to save them, trust me, they will not experience a resurrected, glorified body one day that will be in heaven. Their resurrected body will be under the wrath of God in hell. That sounds hard, but that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean. Everybody. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. One translation says they're like filthy rags. In his sight, outside of Christ. The Bible says so in Psalm 14, Psalm 51, also in Romans chapter 3. What does it say? It says this, there is no one, no one that does good. There's no one that does good. No, not one. I mean, he he emphasizes it. There is no one that understands. You ready for this one? There is no one that seeks after God. Well, wait a minute. Wait, no one seeks after God? I thought there was a lot of churches that are so concerned with the seekers. They're they're changing their whole service so that the seeker will feel comfortable. So they won't mention words like sin and the blood of Jesus. And, you know, we don't want to turn off the seeker because they're seeking God. No, they're not. No, they're not. The Bible says there's no one that seeks after God. Let's get back to the gospel truth. The gospel is not that you are seeking God. That is not the gospel message. The gospel message is that God is what? Seeking you. He's seeking you. You say, prove it. Okay, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it tells us the story, the parable. The Son of Man came 
to what? He, he tells us about why the purpose of Christ's coming. It says he came to seek and to save those who are seeking him. Is that what it says? No. It says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is what? Lost. See, we need to understand verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. He just didn't throw it in here to take up space. What he's saying is you in your natural state, me in my natural state, we are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, period. We need a radical change. The only way we can have this kind of a radical change is to be born again. God has to recreate us. And that new life that he creates is in us as believers. It may not be visible at first on the outside. But one day it will be visible on the outside completely. Because you will be fashioned like the glorious body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just like he said. That's what we have to look forward to. But the condition is you have to come to Christ. You have to be born again. Well the second point here in verses 51 to 52 not just the condition for experiencing these rewards, but the change that we will experience. The change that we will experience. See, everyone is going to get a change. And here, he's pointing out to the Corinthians that everybody's going to get a resurrected body. Some of them, when they die, where does your soul go when you die right now? It goes to be with the Lord, right? Absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. Does your body go to be with the Lord? No. The body goes to the little urn or the dirt or wherever you put it. Lost at sea, eaten by sharks, whatever. Okay. There's going to come a day when God raises up that dead body and reunites it with your soul. He recreates that dead body to a glorified state. And that's what he's talking about here. So he says in verse 51, he says, behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. A mystery. Mysterion in the Greek. It's kind of an interesting word because they didn't even translate the word from the original Greek. It's mysterion in the Greek. And what, what do we say? Mystery. They just took the words and they just turned them in English. It's a transliteration, not a translation. So it's important to realize that. And he says, now this mystery is going to be revealed. I'm going to tell you what the mystery is. A mystery in the New Testament is always something that refers to that which had before been hidden and unknown. This is brand new revealed mystery by the Apostle Paul. And it's being revealed by him. And what does the mystery consist of? It's not about the resurrection. They understood the resurrection. He just taught them on that. Well, what's the mystery have to do with? He says, behold, I'm going to tell you a mystery. What is it? We shall not all sleep. What's that mean? But we shall all be changed. Word sleep is the way they talked about the dead. What Paul's saying is we're not all going to die. See, up to this point, a lot of them believe, okay, you've got to die to get the resurrected body. That's the only way. You've got to go through the the, the door of death. And Paul's saying, nope, hold on. I just got a new message from the Lord. Remember, he was an apostle. One of the last apostles. And he was able to receive direct 
revelation from the Lord himself. And he tells us so much in Galatians. He says, hey, this I received right from the Lord. He didn't make this up. He didn't have a bad pizza and have a, you know, crazy dream. This was real. This was right from the Lord. And he says, the mystery is, is that, you know what? Corinthians, all of you may not die, but we're all going to be changed. And they probably went, what? How is that going to happen? Well, he goes on to tell them. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, and then here's what happens. And the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall all be changed. So what's he saying? Everyone is going to get a change, but not all are going to die. Some will be alive when this change happens. That's exciting. But this change, when it happens, you can't undo it. It's going to be permanent. It's going to be eternal. It's have an everlasting change. It's going to be wonderful. Well, three things here I want to point out. First of all, the mystery is now revealed. Verse 51. He says, you know what? You're you're not all going to die. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Because they really believe, well, to get the resurrected body, you have to die. And Paul says, nope, nope, new truth. Lord, just this is just in on the teletype here. Not everybody's going to die to get the resurrected body. You may be alive when it happens. Verse Chapter 4, verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians. It says, those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Speaking here of believers who are caught up and they will be changed. Someone said that that one verse in in Corinthians, we shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. We should put that on a plaque in the nursery. (laughs) We shall not all sleep, but we will be changed. See, whether believers die or they are raptured, that's the word that's used here. Their bodies will be changed from the perishable to the imperishable, from the natural to the spiritual. It has to be that way or you'd never go to heaven. You have to be changed at some point. So what happens? The dead in Christ, those who have died in Christ, are raised first. Their bodies will be raised first because they're coming back with the Lord. It says the Lord will, will, will return. He will come back. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. And the dead in Christ will rise, raise. And then those who us are still alive will be caught up with them. Right from our living body. We'll just be like Enoch and Elijah, just gone. That's probably what happened to them. They must have been changed in some way. Similar to the fashion that believers will be changed. That word change there, alasso, in the original is used six times. And it means to change the form or nature of something for the better. So whatever you got now, you're going to have something better. 
The idea is that we will be resurrected in a new body. Or we will be instantaneously changed. Now, the Jews understood the doctrine of the resurrection throughout the Old Testament. It was very clear. In Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, it talks about the resurrection of the Messiah. It says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. So they understood the concept of the resurrection. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it says this. The Old Testament prophet Daniel, he says, At that time shall rise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as had never, uh, as, such as never has been since there was a nation till all Time, till that time. So there's going to be a lot of trouble, the prophet's saying. Then he says this, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Ask yourself that question. Is your name in the book? Book of life, is it in there? Have you trusted Christ? Have you been born again? Verse 2, it says, Daniel 12, and many of those who sleep or die in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some, those who've trusted in Christ, to everlasting life. And some, those who have not, to shame and everlasting contempt. Judgment. Translation, hell. And those who are wise shall shine. Like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and evermore. See, they believed in the resurrection. They understood the resurrection. But the mystery was this, that not everybody who's resurrected that has a glorified body necessarily will have to die. Some of us are going to be alive when this happens. But everyone will be changed. But look at verse 52. And this speaks of the moment when this will happen. The moment when this change will happen. He tells us here very clearly in verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall all be changed. Well, when is this moment? The word there, atomos. We get the word Adam from, A-T-O-M, Adam. What is an Adam? Adam, the meaning back then, means something that cannot be divided. We say, well, they divided the Adam. Well, okay, but back then they didn't. (laughs) And the meaning means just that. It's something that cannot be divided in reference to time. It's an invisible, indivisible point in time. And the moment... It's going to occur is said to be in a moment. At a specific time. This will happen. In the twinkling of an eye. What's the twinkling of an eye? Does that mean how long does it take you to blink? No. The twinkling of an eye. Which is the fastest known human reaction. 
It's the time it takes for light, some say, to, re- to reflect off your eye. It's not even when you blink. So apparently there's no, no time here. It's not going to take any time at all is what the point is. His point is simply this. Flesh and blood, the state that you are in right now, without any help from God, you will never inherit the kingdom of God. You will never be in God, with God for all eternity. It's impossible. It can't happen. And then the other thing he wants us to understand, as you better understand, is when this is going to happen, it's going to happen fast. In the twinkling of an eye. What's his point? You better get straightened out now. Because when you see it happening, you're not going to be able to say, oh, wait, 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 okay, yeah, now I'm going to pray the prayer, now I'm going to commit my life. Nope, no time. It's over. It's done. Hold on, Lord, I want to straighten out my life now. Nope. I want to clean up my act now. Nope. I want to get right with God now. Nope, too late. There will not be any time. That's his point. That's why he uses that word atomos, Adam. It's the fastest known human reaction. Well, when is this going to happen, you might say. Some of you might be saying, hey, well, let me know when this is going to happen. There are two places, basically, in the Bible where it's discussed. And we looked at one already, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. He says, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do. We do grieve, don't we, when our, bro- our brothers or sisters, our beloved friends or whoever, family members die? I, I, I would pray you grieve. But he says, we don't grieve as others. What's that mean? Who have no hope. Because why? We have hope in Christ. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Do you understand when Christ comes back for his church, he's going to bring with him any Christians that have died. They're going to come back. And then their bodies are going to be raised from the dead first, it says. And then they'll be joined, and then we will join them. In the air. For he says, this is what we're waiting for. This is this mystery that's being revealed. This revelation came directly from the Lord. And he says in verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Paul says, this isn't my doing, this is what God gave me to tell you. This is how it's going to go down. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, he says, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command. That, that, that word there, command, has the idea of a military command. If you've been in the military and a commander tells you to do something, they don't say, hey, by the way, uh, could you, would you mind uh, moving that thing? Over? No, they, they order you. There's command, there's authority in their words. And you obey. Or there's severe consequences. With a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel. Who is the archangel? 
Michael. Jewish tradition says there were seven, but it doesn't say that in the scripture. That's just tradition. There's one mentioned in the word of God, and that's Michael the archangel. And it says, and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead of the, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So picture this. This is happening so fast. It's not like 10 minutes. It's like in the twinkling of an eye. There is no time for this to happen. But the dead, as far as sequence, will be raised first, it says. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says in verse 18, encourage one another with these words. I don't know about you, but that's an encouraging message. (laughs) That word caught up there in the original language, harpazo, it means to seize quickly, to snatch away. Where do we get the word rapture from? Well, not from harpazo. We get it from the Latin word that they use to describe this word. Rapturo, rapturo. And once again, they just transliterated over to English, rapture. Anybody talk about the rapture of the church? This is what they're talking about. Now we're told here that the dead will rise first. And we who are alive will remain and then we'll be raptured up together with them. You have a couple different phrases here. In the original language, one is in relationship to time and one is in relationship to space. It's very interesting when you look at it in the original grammar because it means that all of us are going to arrive meeting the Lord at the same time in the exact same place. Even though we're being raised, they're being raised from the dead and we're just being caught right up. And it says, we are to meet the Lord in the air. And it kind of looks like, all right, that's a, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Well, in the original language, that word, to meet, it's not a, it's not a verb, it's a, it's a, it's a noun. It's talking about a meeting. A meeting of the Lord, that's what it's saying. It's a meeting that the Lord has planned. In other words, we're going to be together. We're going to be in the same space with even those who are dead in Christ. We're all going to be together, the same space, the same time, at the exact same moment. What are we going to be there for? For a grand meeting that the Lord has planned for all the believers of the church age to meet together. One day we will all be together. That's going to be quite a time. I mean, I think back on some of the people that have passed even from our own church. When I first came here, we had a guy that led the hymns every Wally. Remember him? He's been with the Lord a long time. Al Swanson. Other people. We're all going to be caught up together. Hey, Joe, what you been doing? I mean, I can just imagine the meeting, you know. So we shall ever be with the Lord. 
See, it was a mystery because the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was nothing about those who are alive. It just talked about those who were going to be resurrected. Well, what's going to happen to those who are still alive if this meeting happens? Well, that's the mystery that Paul is unveiling here. Everybody was going to be resurrected, they thought, in the Old Testament. That was their understanding, but they didn't understand that those who were still going to be alive when this happens, what would, what would happen to them? They had no answer. Well, Paul tells them, no, they're, they're going to just be caught up. They're not going to have to die. And how fast will they be caught up in a twinkling of an eye? Now, here's the problem with this text. A lot of you are acquainted with Bible prophecy, some more than others. Some of you have never studied it at all. <laughs> well, the rapture of the church, it's an interesting, there's an interesting problem connected with it. That is the speed at which it occurs. And the timing of that suggests that there will be no time for you to get ready. None whatsoever. Either you're ready or you're not. The interesting thing is that many of us believe that this event is going to happen before the great tribulation comes to earth. You have people that differ on this. And that makes this a very, very serious issue. Because if we're correct, there's no warning whatsoever. In other words, this event, this rapture, this, this meeting the Lord in the air could happen even here this morning. It could happen at any time. There's nothing that has to be done before it happens. It can happen now, is the point. That's why the Bible says, now is the accepted time for salvation. Now is the day of salvation. But guess what? Having said that, when I said now, guess what? That time is gone. <laughs> right? It's gone. Forever gone. It will happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and hopefully, hopefully, millions will be gone from planet Earth. The Bureau for Missing Persons is going to have a field day. They're going to go crazy for a couple days. But I think our culture and our politicians and everybody has set us up for this. I think they've prepared the world for this moment. Personally, this isn't Bible, this is just me. But I think with all the movies and all the fantasy ideas of aliens and everything else, I think one day when all the millions of believers will disappear in the moment of time, the politicians are going to say, the aliens came and took them all away from us. Thank God. They were such a pain. But we're going to get changed. And it's going to happen quick. One minute, you're going to be hardly able to get out of bed. The next minute, guess what? You're going to be an amazing person with a brand new body. No more aches. No more pains. You'll never hurt again. You'll be able to do extraordinary things. It's going to be incredible. Yes, Christianity is built on hope beyond the grave because he lives and so shall we. 
Well, the next thing here is the message that will be sounded. Verse 52, it says, at the last trump, for the trump will sound. We read this in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. He will descend with the, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And when you go back into the book of Revelation, there are three sets of judgments that are coming during that seven-year period of the tribulation. Three sets of judgments. The first set are the sealed judgments. The second set are the trumpet judgments. And the third set are the bowls of wrath. And the seven trumpet judgments are just that. The seventh trumpet apparently is blown, from what people say, at the middle of the tribulation period. And it continues throughout the entire three and a half years of the remainder of the tribulation. The seventh trumpet announces the seven bowls. They kind of like fall out of each other. You have the sealed judgments, and now the sealed judgments come the trumpet judgments, and now the trumpet judgments come the bold judgments. And some people, doctrinally, they speak of the rapture of the church. We say we are pre-trib. We believe it's going to happen before all the horrible judgment goes down on earth here for seven years when, when God unleashes his wrath. We believe that God will come back and rapture his people out of here. We won't have to go through that. There are other people that say, no, 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 you have to go three and a half years, then you get raptured out. And then there's another group of people, post-trib, that say, no, no, you've got to go through the whole thing. <laughs> and then he'll take you out at the end. Now, because the, some people speak about this pre-wrath rapture of the church, and that means the mid, midpoint of the tribulation, that's when we get raptured out of here. They say this, they say the trumpet is blown, the rapture happens, but it won't be blown until the middle of the tribulation. So they, they confuse the trumpet in First Thessalonians with the trumpet in Revelation. And they say it's the same thing. Um, there are others who believe that no trumpets, the trumpets are only going to be blown at the end of the tribulation. So you have pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, basically. You have other people that believe in a partial trib. You have some people say, oh, it's pan-trib. It's just all going to pan out, you know. Whatever, whatever your reasoning is, okay, um, the post-tribulation at the person who believes it's going to happen after the tribulation does not believe that the rapture will happen bef- before the tribulation begins. And so they always use this, this argument. It says they're the last trump. That's got to be the trumpet in Revelation. And so they go about it this way. They say, well, don't you guys believe that the, the pre-trib people, don't you believe that the rapture is in 1 Corinthians 15? Yes, Definitely. Well, don't you believe it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Yes, we do. Well, doesn't 1 Thessalonians 4 say that that's the last trump? Yes, it does. And then they say, well, the seventh trump of Revelation, that's where you say, whoa, 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 stop. You just made a giant leap. Excuse me? The seventh trump blown in Revelation is not the last trump blown. First of all, We can have trumpets blown in the millennium to assemble God's people to the festivals of worship when Christ sets up his kingdom in earth. 
Even more powerfully, you read in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 to 31, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. Sounds pretty bad. And the, the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. This is after the tribulation. And they will gather his elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other. Well that clearly says after the tribulation. So it can't be the last trumpet in Revelation. For the seventh trumpet is blown in the middle of the week of those seven years, three and a half years in. So what does it mean here when it says the last trumpet? Last does not mean last from the standpoint of sequence in time. We saw that when we looked at, in, back to 1 Corinthians 15, He said the first Adam, the first man, Adam. And then he said the last Adam was who? Jesus Christ. Well, was there anybody born after Jesus Christ? Okay, well, how could he have been the last man born then? It's not speaking of sequence. All of us have been born after Christ was born. So it's last in some sense, but what we have here is the last trumpet is the last calling of believers of the church age. This is it. Right now we live in the age of grace. We live in the the, the church age, it's called. The time when you get the opportunity to, you don't have to go to the temple and slaughter a lamb or anything else. You can trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and he will save you from your sins. It's called the church age. And this is the identifying mark when the rapture occurs. This is the the whole age we call the church age. And it began at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And it will end when this rapture occurs. When we be caught up to be with the Lord. In Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 27, it says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So that's what's happening right now. The Gentiles and and Israel is being formed together as the church. Those who trust in Christ. Verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it was written, the deliverer will come from Zion, will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Isaiah twenty-seven thirteen it says, and in that day a great trumpet will be blown, and those who are in, those who are lost in the land of Assyria, and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt, will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. So the last trump is the last trump. Trumpet from the standpoint of church believers. 
So when this event happens, when this rapture happens, there's not going to be any time for you to change your mind. There's not going to be any time for you to get ready. There's not going to be any time for you to straighten out anything that you have awry in your life. I mean, this is what Jesus was talking about in his prophecy messages. He usually used the words, watch and be ready. You remember that? He always said that. Watch and be ready because you don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. No one knows. So we call on people to come to Christ now. Now is the day of salvation. I mean, the moment you say, well, Christ could come right now, that moment is gone. If there's anything in the Bible that would make us, is there anything in the Bible that would make us to believe that we are near the time when this is going to happen? All you have to do is watch the land of Israel. Watch what's going on in Israel. And I believe we are. We are closer, a lot closer to the time when the Lord could come back for his church. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind we are. And when we're taken up and when we're gone, I don't want you to still be sitting here. Can you imagine? We're to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. That's how serious it is. Well, the last thing here, the conquering of death in verses 53 to 57, the Bible speaks about the fear of death. See, part of the, the joy of knowing the Lord is that death is a sweet release. It's a... It's, a sweet release into the presence of God, right? No matter how difficult your death may be, you know the moment you breathe your last, you are what? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I mean, I hate death. I hate everything about death. I've been to enough funerals and, you know, as a pastor, you have to go and you have to identify with the people in their time of need and, You have the opportunity to present the truth of the gospel. But I hate everything that death represents. We've all lost loved ones. We understand the pain, the agony. Trying to start all over again without that person in our lives. That's why the Bible calls death our last enemy. I'm so thankful to tell you that God said that the last enemy is going to be destroyed. Amen? There's going to be no more death. <clears throat> the point, it happens. When does this happen? It's in verse 53 there. For this perishable body must be put on imperishable, and this mortal body must be put on immortality. When is death conquered? The answer is when the corruptible puts on the incorruptible, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality. That's when this change happens. That's when I get a new resurrection body. And that's when death has been conquered once and for all. There's not going to be any funerals in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. No mourning, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. No more dying ever, ever again. 
And it's a prophecy that will be fulfilled. Look at verse 54. Then shall come to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 8 to 9, it says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Verse 9, it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And then you jump all the way to the back of the Bible, Revelation 7, verse 17. And it says, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And then it says this, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. One day God will literally wipe away tears from our eyes. Revelation 21, 3 and 4, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then in verse 4, he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Good place to say hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, whatever. The truth of the matter is, is that we have victory over death provided to us by God. It will be defeated. It's always difficult to go to a funeral and you see the grief and the heartache and the pain. Families losing loved ones. It's hard to go into a cancer ward, a child's cancer ward, and see these small children riddled with pain and agony. You walk out of there going, why, Lord, why? One day it says, God, wipe away all these tears. And death will be followed up in victory. It will not cause any more pain. It will not cause any more sorrow. It will not cause any more tears ever again. And I'd say, praise the Lord to that. The picture of total victory. Where is your sting, O death? Where is your victory? It says the sting of death is in, in the power of is sin, and the power of sin is the, the law. See, it's sin that brings death. That's where death comes from. The sting of death is sin. Ezekiel chapter 18 says, The soul who sins shall what? Shall die. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. It is sin that brings death, but it is the law that reveals the power of sin. Romans 7, 8 says, apart from the law, sin lies dead. Seven eleven for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and though it killed me, and through it killed me. There's nothing wrong with the law of God, but God's law tells us what's right and wrong. And sin is disobeying God's law. That's what sin is. 
Murder is always wrong. Cheating is always wrong. Adultery is always wrong. It's still wrong to lie. The strength of sin and its power to condemn me, to cause me to understand that there is no hope, that I can save myself. There's no hope in that. The strength of that comes from the law. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails one point has become guilty of all of it. None of us has kept the whole law. How many sins does it take to make a sinner? One. How many lies does it take to make a liar? One. See, we need to understand something. God is saying here that he's giving us hope and that that hope in our faith, in Jesus Christ, and the wonderful changes that are coming. It's sin that brings death. It's the law that reveals the power of sin. And lastly, it's Jesus Christ alone that gives us victory over death. He alone can give you victory over death. John 3, verses 4 to 5, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. That's why Christ came. And in him there is no sin. He was perfect in every way. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. How does this victory happen through Christ? Well, first of all, he substituted himself for us. He substituted himself. He died in our place. And he could do that because he lived a perfect life. When Jesus was here on earth, he was perfect in every way. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit. He took our place. He loves us dearly, so much so that he laid down his life Isaiah 53, 6 says. And on him was laid the iniquity of all of us. Even though Jesus had never committed any sin whatsoever, he went to the cross and took upon him all the sin of all those who would ever put faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. Sin had no control over him. Why? Because he never sinned. It was impossible for him to sin. Or he wouldn't have been God. The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Jesus Christ was God Almighty in human flesh. And if he wasn't God, then someone died 1,900 years ago, 2,000 years ago, whatever it's been. Guess what? He couldn't do anything for us if he wasn't God. Because he had to be the perfect substitute. And it tells us that he satisfied all the righteous demands of the law. The strength of sin is what? It's the law. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And what's the challenge? We'll look at that next week. But basically, I'll just read the verse so you don't leave on a downer. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, 
Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always, what? Abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that the... That in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray you would encourage our hearts. Lord, we thank you that one day you will return to this earth in glory. You'll come in the clouds first and you will call your church to yourself. First, the dead in Christ will rise. And then we who are still alive will be raised and we will all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye. And we will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior forevermore. Lord, we so look forward to that day. We don't know when that day is coming. And so we pray that hearts would be prepared. That we would not be caught unaware. If you're here this morning and you've heard the truth that's been presented. You understand your need of a Savior. You understand it very well. You understand there's nothing you can do in and of yourself. Maybe you've tried hard to live a good life and you've tried to help people. God doesn't, that doesn't matter to God at this point. What matters is your heart, is your soul. He's not going to ask you how many people you fed or how many homeless you, you helped or gave money to or how many church services you went to. The only thing that God is going to be interested in when he meets you on judgment day is simply, what did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? What did you do with him? You heard the gospel. You knew you had to trust in him. Did you? I pray that this morning, if you're here and you have yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ, today might be the day of salvation for you. That you would cry out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sins. I want to be assured one day that when you come back, I'll be caught up to be with you. Or if I die, that one day I'll be raised in newness of life and have a resurrected body to live in heaven forever. To be with God, our Lord and Savior, and our loved ones. You just cry out to God this morning, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. He will answer that prayer when it's prayed from a sincere heart. Father, we pray that you would... Help us to lead this place with a message, an urgent message, that people need to hear the gospel of Christ, especially in our area. Especially in our area here.